Hey, welcome to episode 73 of the podcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Phil Velke, coming to you from northern Minnesota. I'm at my job right now, so I might sound a little bit different. I'm by myself. Um, I thought I'd try to post an update, just flying solo here. And uh, I don't know how it'll go, but here goes nothing. And yeah, I didn't want to necessarily leave folks hanging this week. Um, I'm not scheduled to record anything else until this weekend with my brother. And we're going to tackle some uh, Hayao Miyazaki or some Studio Ghibli, I should say. Specifically, uh, I plan on chatting with him uh, and maybe bring in some others to the conversation as well. The new Studio Ghibli film, Earwig and the Witch, which uh, looks very interesting. (laughs) It's the first time that uh, the Hayao Miyazaki sort of Studio Ghibli style is being translated to computer animation. And uh, some of the first looks we've gotten at it, you know, don't look very great. Uh, I don't know, I'll probably mention in the episode that it looks kind of like a Kingdom Hearts cutscene or something along those lines. And uh, is that being unfair? Uh, Who knows? I actually have seen Earwig and The Witch. Uh, yeah, the new film, the first Studio Ghibli film in six years, I guess, since 2014. You know, six, I mean, 2014, that's seven years ago now already. Crazy how time has progressed in the past year specifically as we're approaching this one-year anniversary of lockdown, quarantine, coronavirus, uh, pandemic, COVID-19, yeah, whatever you want to call it. Uh, what a crazy year it has been. Um, last week, of course, we talked about Weathering With You on the show. Uh, I saw that movie it was over a year ago now. It was one of the last movies I saw in a theater out in L.A. Since then, I've kind of come back. Uh, I've uh, returned to the nest, so to speak, <laughs> Speaking of our current topic of today, which is all about leaving the nest, um, the the transition into (laughs) maturity and adulthood is something that I thought was very elegantly depicted in the film for today, Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, directed by Hayao Miyazaki from 1989. And yeah, I kind of wanted to maybe offer a little bit of a prelude to our conversation about Earwig by uh, by getting into some Miyazaki today. It won't be the most fleshed out, thorough, erudite, I mean, it's just me here on this solo episode sort of barking into a microphone. Um, So please bear with me. Um, I'll, I'll keep it fairly short. But I thought, you know, I I don't want you guys to not have anything for this week, and why not give it a go trying to parse this here film, which I thought was fantastic. I um I had never seen it, but uh, yeah, uh, when I was thirteen, which is the age Kiki is in this film, um, man, I was just a little kid. I didn't have a lot of agency or independence. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this uh, this movie is about a kid who um, goes off and kind of has to figure things out on her own. And it's intriguing. It's fascinating. I thought it was a very 
insightful distillation, sort of an, an elemental telling of this great sort of universal tale of self-realization um, and the fact that, you know, they kind of um, emphasize these trajectories that we often face as humans through portraying them through this character of, you know, a young witch, for one thing. <laughs> you know, that's an interesting twist to a coming-of-age story, as well as, uh, yeah, the fact that she is so young. She's 13, and it's set in this sort of fantastical world. Um, so, yeah, Kiki's Delivery Service was released in 1989, uh, same year as... The Little Mermaid, 1989 in Japan. There was an original English dub that I think first was distributed in 1990 in the U.S. And then it was redubbed by Disney in 1997 for a 1998 release. Uh, you have um, fairly notable actors like Kristen Dunst and uh, Phil Hartman major roles um any other was it matthew lawrence he plays tombo the love interest character yeah kiki she's 13 but hey she's independent she's off on her own she she can have a, a little romantic fling as far as that goes we all had crushes back when we were in our early teens uh janine garofalo as uh ursula Funny that there's a character named Ursula in this 1989 animated film. Uh, as there, it was actually, uh, you know, it came out before The Little Mermaid did, so nobody can blame anyone else for ripping them off. <laughs> um, let's see, Hayao Miyazaki's, I believe, fifth feature film. He, uh, he had done. Um, Lupin III, The Castle of Cagliostro in 1979, and that was part of an existing franchise. And then he would direct Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind in the early 80s, like 82, 83, is when that was released. Um, and then he would found Studio Ghibli in 1985. Um, Ghibli is an Italian word, and I guess in the original um italian it's pronounced ghibli so no fault if you pronounce this term ghibli it means hot air blowing in from the sahara desert um let's see his father worked in the aviation industry uh, miyazaki probably learned the name from the italian ca309 plane known as a ghibli uh, Hayao Miyazaki, big fan of aviation, uh, and that comes through in his work as an artist, certainly. Um, even, I guess, Lupin Third had planes in it. Uh, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind definitely had planes in it. Uh, his third film, I believe, Castle in the Sky, after the founding of Studio Ghibli, uh, Ghibli in, um, Castle in the Sky, originally released in 1986, uh, deals with the sky, aircraft, uh, <laughs> flying robots. Um, the fourth would be My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, that involves less 
like machinery and planes. Um, I know Totoro flies, I think, at some point. Um, <laughs> the cat bus, a, a very uh, magical, sort of a fantastical vehicle, means of travel. Yeah, hopefully people listening have a, a vague familiarity with the films of legendary Japanese animator Hayao Miyazaki and the films of Studio Ghibli um, because it's, you know, it's kind of like the Disney of Japan. Um, Hayao Miyazaki, you know, not to uh, purely make comparisons, but um, he definitely cites Disney as one of his main sources of inspiration. Uh, and that studio has gone on to develop a reputation of like yeah being massively celebrated there there are a lot of uh huge fans and i think um they also try not to overly um you know mine or exploit their products you know their films for merchandising or for you know commercial gains you know they try to maintain the purity of their of their brand so to speak um which is no you know i i'm i'm very happy disney is similar but obviously they're they're a massive corporation they've got resorts they've got i mean but they try to put great quality into everything they do uh i just got some well <laughs> i didn't i haven't gotten it yet but uh I got a like a birthday coupon from the Disney store that I was like, oh, I have to use this up before uh, the end of the month. I got some sweatpants, so hopefully they're good. Some some Marvel sweatpants. The this film uh, Kiki's delivery service was the first released in a partnership with Walt Disney Studios, uh, or, or the Walt Disney Company for uh, getting. American distribution for the the films of Studio Ghibli, and that involved like a re-recording of any of the dubs that had already existed prior to the deal. Hence the the casting of Kristen Dunst and Phil Hartman, uh, Kiki and Gigi, Gigi the Black Cat. Um, and uh, th that deal is no longer in place. Um, I think the last thing released under that deal was The Wind Rises, which is very aviation-centric uh, and is the last movie directed by Miyazaki himself from 2013, uh, very much about his inspiration from um, just the ingenuity behind the invention of planes and air travel, but also... Uh, acknowledges heavily in that film the the massive destructive power of aircraft. I wonder if that's meant to parallel anything related to the animation industry or the media industry, the media industrial complex in general. Uh, perhaps I don't know. Media is so powerful; uh, it's a tool that can be used to definitely um, I don't know affect people and just uh, really unknowable ways but uh, you know super important at the same time as you know air travel is, has been just so instrumental to the uh, our shaping our world <laughs> i guess there yeah there's a lot of 
interesting parallels you could draw between flight and uh, and film and television. Um, and even like Kiki at the beginning of this film, she's listening to the radio. Like that's, that was the first thing I noticed. Like um, she she has this tradition where she's trained as a witch. And this is a, a fun kind of fantastical alternate Europe world, but not explicitly Europe, kind of like an alternate universe. I don't know, I almost think of something like Full Metal Alchemist where it's like, you know, the, none of the places are named after European places, but you can tell it's, um, they're, they're styled in that way. Um, but yeah, she, it's sort of like a Europe where World War One or Two never took place, um, airplanes exist, uh, magic exists, and uh, you can just be a witch, uh, but, you know, Kiki really only has one skill that that I know of it's uh which is flying on her broom <laughs> um one one significant skill um and I mean that's pretty impressive in itself she can also talk to her cat Gigi and that's something that evolves throughout the film to her relationship to her cat like at the end of the film the the cat no longer speaks and I don't think it's just because the actor Phil Hartman had died during uh recording of this uh this film uh it's unfortunate but yeah they recorded this in 1997 it was right around the time uh Phil Hartman was murdered um but i i imagine that's that's a plot point plot point from the original telling as well and seemed to reflect how Kiki um sort of evolving in her abilities and uh Gigi, of course, had kind of moved on to start a family with the neighbor, uh, neighboring cat. Uh, so it was just sort of maybe him embracing his more animal uh, instincts, which prevented him from uh, being able to... Gosh, and what are the rules of these magical speaking cats anyways that are so prominent in these films? Um Earwig and the witch also has a pretty much the identical character in this talking cat um, just brought to life in computer uh, 3D, you know, CGI computer animated form. Um, so, yeah, definitely a trope that you find in not just these Japanese animated films, certainly, you know. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, I don't know. There's that talking cat that I remember seeing from when I was a kid, and that show would be on. Uh, my sisters would you know, watch that occasionally. And then um, there's that, the cat in um, Hocus Pocus. Uh, gosh, I wish I could remember the name. Uh, but, yeah, it kind of evokes a similar vibe. Um, <clears throat> I don't think Gigi is supposed to be like a person who's been transfigured into a cat professor mcgonagall from uh, harry potter of course yeah kiki you know she's she's caught in this world between the mystical and the mechanical uh she's good at flying um she's still got a lot to learn but uh you know there's this certain rite of passage that she has to perform when she turns 13 and it's just kind of a standard thing i can't remember if they they had a term for it it's I know the Mormons call it their sacred service <laughs> when uh, they turn 
I think 18-ish. Um, the men eventually go off on a, like a two-year mission. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of like that. Um, with with the witches in this film, it's you know one year when you're 13, you go off and um, you just pick a, a city and you become uh, a resident witch, uh, a resident magic user in the city, and I guess try to find work, pay uh, pay your way, you know. You'd think magic would be a highly lucrative occupation, or if you could, you know, monetize that in some way, you know, you'd, you'd have a fairly easy time getting by. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't come without its hurdles, as convenient as magic can often be. Um, yeah, Kiki really is only able to fly and, and not that well at that for the most part. Um, when she's taking off for the first time to go out on her little uh, sacred service. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, I'm trying to think of uh, her, her little uh, uh, going off to college. Um, her, her year of trials. Um, she uh, the, the launch um, is, you know, I don't know, certainly anything but graceful and uh i i guess maybe it's just the jitters uh, but she she's later able to fly just fine until a certain point in this film where she she definitely shows signs of burnout and yeah we've all been there and i think it's natural for that to come fairly soon into this crazy journey that she's on uh, where it's just such a, a harsh transition from being a kid to trying to make your way as an adult. I, f I feel like I probably went through something similar when I moved to L.A. from northern Minnesota here in Bemidji, um, you know, compared to the giant, massive uh, cosmopolis like L.A. It's just such a, a, a drastic contrast. Um and I think, yeah, you you have that initial buzz, that initial sort of launch into that that really carries you. Um, that's that's just sheer thrill and excitement. But when that wears off, uh, <laughs> yeah, it can probably be a significant come down. It can easily crash. Uh, is that something that freshmen feel? I. See, I was a very shy kid. Um, I didn't go to college far away from home. Um, I didn't, what you know, I wasn't eager to spread my wings and leave the the nest. So this movie is very sort of, in, I don't know, impactful to me, especially because it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I feel I felt more vulnerable I guess in my attempt to leave the nest than perhaps you know one ought to because uh, it was uh, it, you know it was sort of it wasn't premature but it, it was overdue almost um, and so I think I I experienced similar bouts of exhaustion when it happened because I just I 
the mental preparation, sadly, I don't know. I, I, I can't really compare myself. Like, was, it, was I any less prepared than anyone else? I don't know. But I tend to overthink things so drastically that, yeah, like, um, even if I could instinctively fly on my broom, um, I think there's a lot of tendency within myself, personality-wise, that would get in the way of that <laughs> instinctive, just natural talent um, to just be able to perform some of these basic tasks. Uh, and I think that's certainly come through in many ways in my life, um, not to get too introspective on this episode. Um, but yeah, Kiki, she loses the ability to fly at one point, you know, her broom breaks. Uh, eventually she, she's able to repair that. Uh, oh, she, she <laughs> loses the ability to talk to her cat. So she becomes, you know, obviously that's a huge cause to become concerned. And thankfully, you know, she has her job. Um, she, she, course begins the delivery service when she's the <laughs> the eponymous delivery service uh, as she um settles into her new town um the town has a name it's it's i don't know i can't they, they really don't mention it much but yeah the baker asono is kind enough to take her in and offer her a room um and of course, uh, the the delivery service begins with items from the bakery, but then expands to other things. And you know, Kiki runs her business out of the the bakery. It's a great little business relationship. Um, yeah, this you know, brilliant little entrepreneur who uses magic to uh, you know bring good into the world. <laughs> And uh, she's only 13, but um, she, she grows up so fast. Uh, well, one interesting aspect of that witch dynamic is like they're, they're required to wear this black dress. You know, it looks like something um, a traditional witch might wear. You know, this, um, uh, what, what, what do you call that? Like the smock. Um, and, uh, she doesn't really like that she's wearing it, uh, compared to, like, the other youths who are just wearing nor normal clothes, but, uh, she still manages to attract a boy, um, who's interested in aviation, and, you know, her abilities, the fact that she flies on a broom, I mean, that's something that is out in the open in this world, and, uh, so this boy sees her when she first arrives in town and even saves her from an incident with the police. <laughs> she has a little brief run-in with the cops when she first arrives. And, you know, this boy, Tombo, uh, you know, pretends that there's a thief. You know, he cries wolf, <laughs> and uh, the the cop gets pulled away, and then... Uh, you realize that that was all just a ruse, kind of funny, um, because yeah, he wanted to to meet Kiki. Um, so, you know, everyone has just different uh, attributes and assets for meeting people and developing and cultivating that social life. So, uh, 
even if you don't necessarily dress the best, I mean, you got to dress the part that you were born to play. And uh, maybe if Kiki just tried to, you know, blend in, she her powers wouldn't be quite as uh, effective. Uh, and and yeah, you see, like when she uses her broom, it's not just oh, it's a magic broom; it can follow every whim and command. She has to kind of concentrate. It's almost like she's mounting her light cycle from Tron. You know, you have to activate it in the right way <laughs> so that it materializes underneath you and is capable of mobility. Um, it's it's uh, it's pretty awesome. You can really feel like the the magic and the power of her um, of her skills as she's sort of applying that that concentration. Um, and I'm sure you know Miyazaki, an animator, knows that it takes just so much time and development, and you know it's it's a very ephemeral thing, like art you know and magic <laughs> seem like very similar occupations and and of course that's directly uh acknowledged in this film as well as ursula you know janine garofalo's character she's uh she's an artist who kiki meets out in the woods and you almost wonder oh is this another witch uh, but no, I think she's just uh, an artist, but her process is very similar to Kiki's in that, it, you know, that particular skill set is prone to sort of, of a, a mercurial attitude. And there are days when Ursula just is unable to bring herself to paint or the results just don't really click. Um, and there are other days where she's just filled with inspiration. Um, podcasting, I suppose, is kind of similar. Uh, most of the time, I wouldn't feel like recording an episode by myself. Um, and hopefully, I don't know, this hasn't been too painful for the listener. But, uh, you know, I I was uh, wanting to give this a little shot. And I, I had a feeling with Kiki's Delivery Service, being one of the few Studio Ghibli films I hadn't yet seen, that it would speak to me in in a fairly um, palpable way. I spent a lot of time uh, driving as a day job in L.A. for one thing, so I I know how it goes to have to like you know do that hustle to survive. And it's you know it it has its benefits and its drawbacks. I mean, it teaches you good worth work ethic and character and. Um, drive but also you know it becomes laborious monotonous kiki even mentions explicitly like she she loves flying but she became you know much less enthusiastic about it once she had to do it for a living <laughs> so this is kind of how it goes with anything um, yes, lots of incredible lessons in this film you know kids might find it a little more like boring or pedestrian than your standard Miyazaki fantasy but I don't know I I just thought it was a great sort of elemental yeah dist- distillation a, a nice allegory for real life and growing up and I I think it 
man, I mean, talk about a film for kids that really takes on a whole new meaning when you view it through an adult's perspective. Um, it's just clear case of how brilliantly you can sort of weave these deeper meanings and plot lines into these films and, and make it really cross-generational and really give it that um, artistic authenticity that you don't always get from mainstream endeavors aimed at kids, especially, you know, kids' films nowadays. Um, no, this is uh, fantastic. The visuals are gorgeous. You know, there's airships, there's planes. I mean, vehicles are always a fascinating subject with, in animation. And, uh, yeah, Hayao Miyazaki brings these fantastic designs along with compelling characters to uh, to bear here in Kiki's Delivery Service. So, um, yeah, huge recommend, obviously. Uh, the fact that this came out only a year after My Neighbor Totoro is just really... I guess it, it would make sense, judging by the thematic quality of this film, that this really came at a high point creatively for Miyazaki. Because this movie really is, in many ways, about the creative process specifically, so he could have just been sort of transcribing his process, his philosophy, when in the midst of this, you know, very lucrative or, I don't know, I guess uh, creatively uh, fecund period in his life, um, you know, into this film, um, having just come off of the, the... perennial classic, My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, This movie wasn't originally going to be directed by Miyazaki. Um, It was originally supposed to be directed by one of his protégés, Sunao Katabuchi. Uh, Katabuchi ended up uh, being the assistant director on this film. He would go on to direct other things. Um, But yeah, um, kind of a back-to-back a uh, one-two punch of My Neighbor Totoro and Kiki's Delivery Service, 1988-1989. Uh, very impressive from, from this director. You know, he's a legend for a reason. In fact, he's credited as the screenwriter, uh, director, and producer on this film. It's, yeah. yeah. It makes you feel kind of <laughs> worthless if you labor on it too much. No, no. <laughs> I, got, I should speak for myself. Uh, when I look at Hayao Miyazaki, I just ugh, I just shrink in um, humility. Um, anyways, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtcast, Conversations About Animation. I was so glad to finally get around to watching this film. Um, I, you know, I've seen most of Miyazaki's other films. Some of the non-Miyazaki Ghibli films I've neglected thus far, but I definitely want to catch up with those. Uh, the only other Ghibli film that we've talked about on the Thodcast was Spirited Away on a previous episode, so hopefully we'll come back to the subject um, soon in some of the, the classic uh, animations, but yeah, definitely stay tuned for our Earwig and the Witch episode. That'll be a fun one. 
um, and and of course thematically similar to this film in some ways and that um, obviously with the magical component uh, yeah Kiki's delivery service has magic it has um, entrepreneurship it has art um, art the philosophy of art and career development <laughs> it's a coming of age story just uh about you know a young girl and and how i don't know i guess miyazaki tends to um it's sort of a trend in his films analyzing uh young girls in particular and and their trajectory through uh life cuz they you know it's um in a traditional culture like Japan, um, you know, sometimes girls, you know, I don't think necessarily receive the same level of encouragement or, um, I don't know, expectation as, as boys do. I'm sure that's changed a lot, you know, in the past several decades. Um, but yeah, movies like the, you know, My Neighbor Totoro, centered around two young girls, Nasca, of course, is a, a heroine, um, uh, Spirited Away, you know, the, that that character, uh, Ichiro, I know, is uh, you know, meant to be an avatar for, um, you know, and uh, an inspiration to girls. Um, yeah, uh, what else <laughs> can I say? Um, I, there, are, Kiki becomes a hometown hero. Uh, there are even Kiki cosplayers depicted, or a Kiki cosplayer, <laughs> um, because she uh, she saves the day at the end. Um, Gigi was fun. Phil Hartman was fun. He's got got a few zingers in there. Uh, the the sound quality wasn't great, but I know there's some issues with the recording, and they they sort of redubbed. Even they redubbed the redub later on, uh, in in a in sort of a final final mix, uh, in in the twenty teens, just to sort of polish some some issues fans had with that nineteen ninety eight uh, Disney release, and so I'm assuming that's the version I saw on HBO Max. You can find Kiki's Delivery Service on HBO Max. You can find Earwig and the Witch on HBO Max. Uh, as, uh, along with um, every other Studio Ghibli film that I can think of that's available for streaming, um, it's it's on there. So how fortunate are we um, <laughs> if we uh, have that subscription? Because I know it was hard for a while to, to find um, Miyazaki films streaming anywhere. I think he had initially been fairly opposed to that concept. Um, yeah, I guess uh, another thing, like uh, there's a podcast I listened to that really delved into the Miyazaki filmography uh, called Blank Check. Um, so check that out if you want uh, a really in-depth analysis of Miyazaki and his filmography. Um I don't think I listened to the Kiki episode because I hadn't yet seen the film, so I'm, I'm glad I can now go back and listen to that. Uh, now that I've seen it, it'll you know be such a, a kind of a fun time hearing them break down all the you know thematic elements of, of the film, and uh, hopefully, I don't know, I've I've done it at least a modicum of justice here. 
Uh, I've been rambling on for over 40 minutes now, so here is where I leave you, Philip Elke, for the Thodcast, conversations about animation. You can find us at thodcast.com, at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me, Philip Elke, at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, find us on various podcasting platforms. Uh, and as always, have a magical day. Have a wonderful week. Warm hugs. Warm hugs.